You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. We're happy to have on Preaching Source today Dr. Ben Phillips, who is Professor of Systematic Theology at Southwestern Seminary and the director of our Darrington Prison Extension which is a fabulous story, so I'm eager to have him tell it uh, to the Preaching Source listeners today, but welcome, Dr. Phillips. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. Well, let's let's get started with uh, your very unusual ministry. Uh, you're actually engaged in overseeing a complete Bible college program for men who are not only in prison, but most of whom will spend most or the rest of their lives in prison. So talk to us about what's happening there at Southwestern's Darrington Prison Unit as you're teaching men in prison to preach the Word of God. Well, it's one of the most exciting things that I could never have imagined would happen. I've been teaching systematic theology and preaching uh, for a number of years on our Houston campus, and about six years ago, uh, Dr. Patterson sent me to prison. Uh, our president uh, had committed the institution to uh, a Bachelor of Science in Biblical Studies program for long-term prisoners in the Texas prison system. And the goal of that program is to train men to use the Bible to minister to other men in prison. Uh, as any preacher knows, the what you have to give folks is the Word of God. In fact, that's, that's really all we have to give them. But the point of connection between us and the people to whom we communicate is also very important. And so a man who has been in prison, who has committed a serious crime and has the, re the respect, if you want to think of it that way, uh, of other prisoners because of that kind of a background, whom they can see all the time, but then is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, has a lot of credibility when he says, hey, let me share with you this scripture, this word of God that has transformed my life. So when men like that come to know the Word of God and are able to preach it, able to counsel with it, able to proclaim it through their walk to the men around them, well, the greatest place to see how bright the light of God can shine is in the darkness of a maximum security prison. Wow. Tell us a little bit about when the men go through the program, the, the state of Texas, I understand, has been seeing the value of this for the prison population has been very cooperative with us in terms of reassigning men who come through the program to other prisons to to carry the good news of the gospel there. Talk to us a little bit That's about right. that. That's we, right. We've had phenomenal support from our partners at the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Uh, there are some wonderful people who are who are working very hard in that environment to serve the people of Texas and honestly, to serve the Lord. There are a lot of believers uh, who are working there and working in Texas government, uh, so it's exciting for that reason. But Texas is one of the largest prison systems in the world. The state of Texas has over 115 prisons, over 155,000 adults incarcerated in the state of Texas. The only comparable systems in the free world are the state of California and the federal government of the United States, those prison systems. Uh, so it's just a, a, a tremendous need and opportunity. But we accept uh, applications from 
uh, qualified uh, offenders all over the state of Texas. The prison system then brings them to Darrington for four and a half years of undergraduate education, and once they graduate, transfers them to other prisons to serve as field ministers. So we've had 66 graduates now, and they are serving on 13 different maximum security prisons in the state of Texas. We'll graduate another class next May, another class the May after that, and on and on until Jesus comes back or the prison system is empty. Wow. Did you ever see yourself doing this kind of work? Had no clue. It was not on my radar screen at all. But sometimes God calls you to do things you never expected, and you find out Man, I'd not, I don't want to do anything else. Just be in the center of God's will and see him work. God's the one who's doing all of this. And we are having word of men who are preaching in, in solitary confinement settings, men who are preaching on, uh, in medium security worship services, men who are doing biblical counseling, leading and writing Bible studies. And not only are offenders being impacted, but their families are being impacted, officers are being impacted, and ultimately the people of Texas will be blessed because of this, because these men and in particular, the men to whom they minister will one day get out and come back to our communities. Wow, that is incredible. All right, let's talk a bit about your work as a, a theologian. I understand that you are currently working on a systematic theology of preaching. What can you tell us about that project? Well, a friend of mine once described me as a preacher who happens to be a systematic theologian, and I, I would like to claim that description. I hope that that would be true. Um, theology in general, systematic theology, is a human attempt to wrap your mind around the, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And it's intimately connected with preaching. As Karl Barth once said, the, the, the task of dogmatics is to refine the proclamation of the church as to its faithfulness to the Word of God. Now, of course, we know that, uh, that Karl Barth meant more by proclamation than preaching, and, and both more and less uh, by the Word of God than the, than the written scriptures, but still there's some truth to that. Theology does help to refine what we say when we preach, but theology also needs to help us to refine our understanding of what preaching is. Who's involved? What's happening? What's going on? This is more than just one human communicator talking to a human audience. Uh, we need to understand who that audience is that we're talking to, who we are in that process, the nature of what it is that we have to communicate, and of course, recognizing God's role in all of that. So normally, when uh, a theology of preaching is done, it's done from the area of doctrine of revelation, and naturally so. It's very understandable. But you can't get at all of what the faith has to say by understanding just one aspect of systematic theology. Systematic theology is systematic because all the parts relate to each other. If you mess with one part, it's going to affect a bunch of other parts. It, your anthropology will affect your eschatology. So if you think of a human being as, as just uh, that which is immaterial, I am my soul or my spirit, th that I just happen to have a body, well, that's going to affect your eschatology. But if you understand that the human being is body and soul, then your eschatology is impacted because 
Well, now we have to have not only the eternal life of the soul, but the resurrection of the body as well. So these things interrelate. So what I'm trying to do is take the theology of preaching beyond the discussion of the doctrine of revelation as its foundation. So I want to apply all the systematic loci, creation, God, humanity, sin, Christ, Holy Spirit, salvation, the church, and eschatology, and see how all of these different categories help us to better understand what preaching is, what's going on when we preach, who it is that we're preaching to, and these kinds of things, and how they those different facets affect the understanding of the whole. All right. In addition to the theology of preaching, uh, the doctrine of creation is also one of your special research areas. And I, I'm uh, your recent articles, Fellowship of the Triune God and Fiat Lux, were outstanding uh, contributions to those discussions. T talk to us a little bit. Do these two areas intersect, or can you synthesize those for us? Is there a relationship there between the theology of preaching and the doctrine of creation? Well, uh, typically when we think of the doctrine of creation, uh, we think of, uh, of a whole lot of heat and not a lot of light. We think of uh, debates and, and arguments about the age of the earth and six-day creation, and, and I think those are very important discussions. I'm committed to the biblical perspective, what I understand to be the biblical perspective on those things. <coughs> Excuse me, but, um, but at the heart of the doctrine of creation is, is creatio ex nihilo, the idea that God created the world out of nothing. Now, it's a commonplace on those who uh, want to discuss uh, contemporary scientific perspectives and what Scripture has to say that uh, the Bible uh, will tell us that God created, but not how God created. And I, I beg to differ. Scripture is actually very clear on this. God spoke. Now, that's very significant for a theology of preaching. The Word of God does not return void. So that when God speaks and summons light into existence, even though there is nothing that has the capability or the potentiality of becoming light, light leaps into existence in obedience to the word of God. What drives the narrative of Genesis chapter 1 is God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. So God speaks, and the natural orientation of Everything in existence is obedience to the Word of God. Also, God communicates effectively. It was good. So God is capable of communicating the information that summons forth and constitutes reality as what He wants it to be effectively. Now, when God speaks throughout Scripture, we see the same thing happening. God speaks, nations rise and fall, the dead come back to life, history is changed and transformed. So God is capable of speaking and human speech, human language, is capable of bearing that word of God. So the very first words ever heard by human ears were spoken by God. 
language is a gift of God. So we can be confident that human speech, the language of the Bible, the language of preaching, can communicate the information that God wants it to communicate because God gave it to us for that purpose. Now, you also have to remember that Scripture is given to us, first of all, through preaching. Moses speaks to the people, then writes down what it is that God has communicated. The prophets preach their message, then write down the message that they have proclaimed. Jesus sent out his apostles to preach, not to write. Now, don't misunderstand me. We are not in any way denigrating Scripture. Scripture was given to us because we have a tendency to mess it up. Uh, we have a tendency to stand up and say what we want to say rather than what God has said. And Scripture is very clear about what happens to a prophet who says, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hasn't said thus. But Scripture also makes a positive connection between our preaching and the Word of God that summoned the universe into existence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul talks about the God who, who said, light shall shine in the darkness, that's a reference back to Genesis chapter 1, has caused the light of the gospel to shine in our hearts. Faith comes by hearing, he says in Romans, and hearing by the word of God. And in that context, what he has primarily in mind is the preaching of the gospel. So when we stand up to preach, we are bearing the same word of God that summoned light into the darkness and so now summons faith into existence ex nihilo in the human heart, where, there, where a fallen human being has absolutely no potential of themselves to understand God, to know God, as Paul will say, the natural man doesn't receive the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. The word of God summons forth faith in the human heart. On the front of my Bible, I have a Latin phrase where uh, people would normally have their name printed. It's dixique deus fiat lux. And God said, let there be light. And it's a reminder to me, sort of a, 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 a bit of a humorous reminder to me, that uh, of my two favorite interests, the doctrine of creation, and God said, let there be light. And 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4, and Romans, and God said, let there be light. And people believe. On the other side, I'm... I'm I also think it's important that we think about preaching uh, from the perspective of, uh, of, of the fact that God is triune. Um, we don't have to do with a generic monotheistic God. And that's very important for the theology of preaching. You see, what God is not in eternity, he cannot be by nature. And this is a real problem for, uh, for Unitarians, uh, for Muslims, for example. Allah a monotheistically understood uh, entity, um, a, 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 a Unitarian, a unipersonal kind of being, um, has no one to talk to in eternity. And, of course, what it means to be a person is to be in relationship with other persons. You can be an individual all by yourself, but you are a person because of the relational connections you have with other persons. So, a human being who's stuck on a desert island is still a person because they have a connection with their parents and, of course, with God. 
But what about Allah? So for, for Muslims, uh, their problem is that when, when Allah creates the world, does he become a person? Well, if that's the case, then now God is changing, and Muslims, like Christians, we're going to reject that idea, and rightly so. But if he didn't change, then Allah is not a person. And, well, kind of like electricity, you don't pray to electricity. You don't worship electricity. You respect it and you manipulate it. But as Christians, we know from Scripture that God is personal, that, that He has invited us to have a personal relationship with Him. God speaks, and He speaks in creation because He is, has always been and is by nature a speaking God. The Father has always had the Son to be in communion and in fellowship with. And the Father and the Son have shared that joy with the Holy Spirit. So we see in Scripture, uh, Jesus addressing the Father, most often in prayer, but we also see the Father speaking to the Son. And at one point even, conversation between the two of them in the Gospels. Of course, we also see uh, pictures of this in the Old Testament when we see the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So the Father and the Son, also the Holy Spirit, have always been in conversation. But the Spirit gives to us in the Scripture, not apart from, but through the Scripture, as in the form of the Scripture, the very words of God. He will take of mine and He will speak to you. So when we read the Scripture, when we proclaim the Scripture, we are overhearing the divine conversation. And we are invited to become part of it. Now, obviously not as additional persons in the Trinity. That, the, the, the Trinity doesn't change. But through our worship and our obedience, we now become part of that conversation. And God deals with us as persons. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what's going on. The preacher has first to be a listener. And then becomes a speaker. So also, the people who hear preaching listen, but then themselves are also to become speakers as they pass on what they have heard. It's a job for all of us. Dr. Phillips, thank you so much. It's a fascinating uh, uh, synthesis of your, of your work there, and I, I look forward to reading more. Uh, along these lines, and we're really looking forward to that systematic theology of preaching when it, when it comes out. Also, on behalf of all of us, thank you for what you do with those uh, men in prison being equipped to become ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, we just want to all remember you constantly in our prayers for your good work there at the Darrington Prison Extension. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you.